So turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles with you, we're continuing in our message today, our series through the book of Philippians. We're walking verse by verse through this and really enjoying it, really excited. I don't, I don't know um, how much you're enjoying it, but I know I'm having a blast through this book and, uh, and hope you are. So we're going to finish chapter 1 today and then next week we will walk into chapter 2. And so to kind of to start out today... Um, I have I have something that I brought with me. Some of you some of you really enjoy. Anybody know what this is? Telescope, right? This is, this is a real high quality one. Okay, you can see a lot of things with this with this telescope. Okay, um, but uh, but but this is this is our our telescope uh, from from our house. And um, and you know there's there's two types of magnifiers. So what's you know a telescope does what? What does a telescope do? Brings things closer, right? It brings things closer. Brings big things closer, right? What is, what is the other type of magnifier? So not a telescope, but a microscope. Man, you guys are good. You guys are good. I didn't really know this stuff before this week, so this is awesome. I went back to like seventh grade science, fifth grade, I don't know, whenever this would have been, right? So the opposite is a microscope. What does a microscope do? Not as confident with this one. Right, bring brings brings smaller things right to life. Bring smaller. I don't I don't have a I don't have a microscope, but um, uh, but but you can you can you can all picture a microscope, right? So there's two types of magnifiers. There's telescopes. There's microscopes. A, tele, a telescope makes large objects that are that are far away and appear to us small. It kind of brings them to life. A telescope actually brings things into true focus. That's important. A telescope actually brings things into true focus. A telescope is an instrument that focuses on reality. It makes large objects appear large. And we've already discovered, right, a microscope is different. A microscope, and I told you, I'm, I'm, I've learned all this thing, so I'm, I've got my notes right here. I'm making sure I get this right. A microscope takes very small things and blows them up much bigger than they really are. A microscope actually distorts reality. So a telescope focuses on reality. A, a microscope distorts reality. It takes these small things and it blows them up to be bigger than what they already are. And a telescope is really, a telescope is really used right to bring things to life to bring things closer to 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 show things to to show things in in a better light as to what they really really are today at the end i'm going to ask you which are you are you a telescope or are you a microscope are we focusing on the reality? Are we bringing God to life for people? Are we taking something large, God, this big God, right? This, this big God, and are we bringing Him to life in people's lives? Can people look at us, and can we be a telescope for the things of God? Or are we a microscope? Because, because I, think, I think which one that you are, right, kind of tells us about our view of God. 
right? Do we have a big view of God that like it won't fit under a microscope? Do we have a big view of God that we have to use a telescope to kind of bring that thing to life, to kind of bring it back to reality, to focus on the true reality of who God is? Or is our God so small and fitting inside of a, the smallest box, right, that we have to use a microscope to even find Him, to even see Him? So, without giving away my entire message, we're going to pause right there with this thing, and I'm just going to leave this right here. Don't touch it, okay? This is highly valuable, okay? You can tell by how I was just throwing it around right there, right? We're going to leave that right there, and we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Paul has just told the church at Philippi, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. And then he continues on into 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with, that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, many of us know this verse, famous verse, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, pause real quick before we jump into the rest of this passage and finish this chapter. We're going to come back and we're going to kind of dissect what Paul is saying here for just a moment. But one thing that just jumps off the page at me every time I read this in Philippians chapter 1 is how much, Paul, how much control in Paul's life he gave over. How, mu how much he just, just didn't demand things, right? We, he didn't demand things. Um, Kristen and I uh, had, had a little bit of a, of, a, of a date the other night. We did one of our most favoritest things. We went to Beals. Amen? I mean, let's pray and go home. Or pray and go to Beals, Right? Beals is, we, we, love, we love Beals. And when the Beals in Gorham opens, it's a holiday in our house. We get, we get really pumped. We get excited about Beals. Because people have coffee, Oreo, ice cream, but it's not the same as Beals. Okay? And so, yes, there was snow on the ground. Yes, it was really, really cold. But yes, we went and got Beals. Okay? Now, now at Beals, right, I, and, and, and look, I know this, this sounds ridiculous okay and maybe so but at Beals I, I, I get you know a small coffee Oreo with rainbow sprinkles okay I, I can't have it without the rainbow sprinkles okay now now she the, the the lady that was that was making my my ice cream she turned I, I, I watched because I got to make sure that they get the rainbow sprinkles right I watched, and she started to walk back to the window without the rainbow sprinkles. But then she got about halfway, and she realized, it's missing something. That was the Holy Spirit, right? 
And she turned back around and she went and got the rainbow sprinkles and came back. Now, if, if I would have received my ice cream, right, without the rainbow sprinkles, I probably would have asked, not demanded, hopefully, if it got to that point, I would have done what I had to do, right? But, but, but I would have asked for there to be rainbow sprinkles, right? We all have demands. We all have parameters that we place on things that we like, on things that we prefer. And, and that's not a really big deal, right? As long as it's Beale's ice cream, right? As long as it's Beale's ice cream. But then when that rolls over into our relationship with God, then it kind of becomes a touchy thing, right? And I love here how Paul is so submissive to God in everything. I mean, he, he flat out tells the church at Philippi, right? Which is so counterintuitive to, to so many of us in this room. I'd rather be in heaven. I, I'd, I'd rather be in heaven. He, he says, for me to live is Christ. Whatever Jesus wants, however he, long He wants me to be on this earth, but to die is so much better. It's gain for me. I would rather be in eternal worship with the Father. And I love that lifestyle because so many of us are hanging on to things that are so temporary and minuscule, microscopic in comparison to the things of God. Heaven. And Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. In fact, he almost, he, he, he almost blames, for lack of a better word, okay? He's, he's not blaming, but he, he, puts the, he puts the ownership onto the church at Philippi. Right? He almost says, you know, you're, you're the reason that I can't go to heaven and experience the gain because I've got to stick around for your good. I've got to stick around for your growth. I've got to stick around for your progress. What a life that is to be so confident in the things of God that his day-to-day -day didn't matter. Eh, whatever. Whatever. I'll meet you for dinner tonight at five, but if God takes me beforehand, that's way better than dinner with you. How would you feel if you heard that? Right? Celebrate, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 27, only let your manner of life. So he transitions here to kind of close this greeting out, to close this chapter out. So he's transitioning here. He's saying, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so there's two sections here that Paul's talking about. There's two sections that Paul's talking about. And remember, he's kind of continuing on with this theme of joy, how to have joy in hard circumstances. We talked about that two Sundays ago. And then last Sunday, we talked about his circumstance, that he's in chains, that he's in prison. But he tells the church of Philippi, don't feel sorry for me about my chains. Actually, my chains have served to further the gospel because there's a group of people that you can't touch, that you would never be able to preach to, that you would never be able to tell your story to, that I'm chained to. 
right? And sharing the Gospel with daily. And in fact, some of them are meeting Jesus and they even send you greetings to the church. Right? And then he gets to here and he's wrapping this greeting up and he's saying, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, only let your manner, only let your manner right, of life um, be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. No matter how you look at it, nothing, everybody say that with me, nothing, ready? Nothing, nothing, nothing. no matter how you look at it, nothing can steal our joy if we possess a single mind. I believe that's Paul's theme of this whole chapter. So the, the whole two weeks, the, the last two weeks and today can be summed up in that statement right there. Nothing can steal our joy if we have focus on one thing. Nothing can steal our joy if we're focused on one thing. What was Paul's focus? Glorify God. Jesus. Life eternally, right? The life that, 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 that John, uh, Jesus talks about in John, right? Uh, there are many other things that, have been, that, that, that could have been written in this book, but these are written so that you might have life, right? The life that the Word of God brings, the life that God brings in when He comes in and takes over our lives. That was His single focus, right? That was His single focus. Nothing can steal our joy. See, see, I believe that so many of us get our joy stolen. I know it happens for me all the time because I'm trying to focus on too many things. I'm trying to keep too many plates spinning. I'm trying to keep this happy. I'm trying to keep that happy. I'm trying to keep this group of people happy while I'm trying to keep this group of people happy. And they're on two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. But, but if we could just be happy, if we could just all love each other, right? Nothing can steal our joy if we keep our focus on one thing, if we're single-minded. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Malt B. Babcock, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that name, but he wrote, this is my father's world, said this, life is what we are alive to. Life is what we are alive to. And he goes on to illustrate that this way. When my wife and I go shopping... I dread going to the fabric department because I often have to go because my wife enjoys looking at fabrics. But if on the way to the fabric department I spot the book department, I suddenly come alive. Anybody else identify with that? The one thing that excites us and motivates us is the thing that really is life to us. The one thing that excites us and motivates us really is life to us. And again, in Paul's case, Jesus was life. In Paul's case, Jesus was life. And I would go on to say the church was life. Jesus, all the things that were wrapped into that relationship with Jesus was his life. Jesus excited him. Jesus made life worth living for him. In Philippians 1.21 that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain becomes a valuable test of our lives. What if we looked at it like this? What if we looked at it like this? Look at this on the screen. For me to live is blank and to die is blank. You fill in the blanks. Not thinking about what Paul wrote. Kind of clear that out of your mind, right? Because Paul wrote, for me to live is 
Christ and to die is gain. But, but, but if we were to kind of do a self-check on this, do a self-test on this, for me to live is blank and to die is blank. Right? For me to live is... Now I'm just going to say this and some of you guys are going to think, oh, yep, I knew it. Whatever. For me to live is Carolina basketball and to die is them losing last Sunday right before my small group and them being miserable all the way through small group. Right? It's an example. Maybe reality sometimes, but not really, okay? But fill in the blanks for yourself. For me to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is fame and to die is to be forgotten. So many people face that real fear. Forgotten. For me to live is power and to die is to lose, to lose it all. For me to live is blank. To die is blank. For, for some of us in this room as parents, for me to live is my kids. Hmm. For me to live is my job. For me to live is this. For me to live is that. For me to live is my marriage. Right? Because our, marriage, our, our husbands, our wives have become that God replacement instead of that God placement. Right? For me to live is blank and to die is blank. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain, Paul says. So, if we're to be a telescope and make Jesus bigger to people, then we have to echo the words of Paul here. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That is my single focus. That is the thing that I'm singly focused on. He says there, he says that I may hear from you in verse uh, in verse 27, that I may hear from you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's going to come back next week and he's going to talk about the same thing, that single focus on Christ. Well, how do we get that? How do we achieve that? How do we attain that? I'm glad you asked. Number one, consistency. Consistency. Paul says in the first part of verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. Consistency. The old English word uh, conversation means to walk and not talk. The most important weapon against the enemy that we face every day is not is not a stirring sermon. It's not the 35 minutes or, or, or less that you hear from this pulpit, but it's what we do with it. It's not a powerful book. It's what we do with it. It is the consistent life. It is how we live. It's what makes us tick. It's that book department. It's that fabric department. It's that, it's that thing that brings us alive. And so what are you consistently brought to life with? Is it Jesus? Paul says, how do we become telescopes? How do we become people who draw, uh, uh, um, draw people to, to God, draw people to Jesus? Consistency. That our message is consistent. That our life is consistent. Both in how we talk and in how we walk. Consistency. Here's a question for you. Am I conducting my life, and am I conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel? 
Am I conducting my life? Am I conducting myself in a manner worthy of Jesus? You know, the Gospel, and we talked about this last week very briefly, the Gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. There is only, and get this, there's only one good news of salvation. And that's it. That Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. As we walk into Holy Week, right, that's in front of so many of us, and there's only one good news of salvation. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, No one comes to the Father except through me. Consistency. The second way that we ensure that we become telescopes is cooperation. Now this is kind of an interesting one here, but look at the second part of verse 27. He says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Of the gospel. This word striving together gives us our English word for athletics. Our English word for athletics, this idea of striving. Paul pictured the church as a team, and he reminded them that it's teamwork that wins victories. It's teamwork that wins victories. I remember um, I, I remember being in high school. And having a couple of games my, my junior year that didn't go so well. Right? Because, you know, I was the big guy. I was the post player. Right? So they didn't let us bring the ball down the court. If we brought the ball down the court, my coach literally looked at me the first day of tryouts. And he says, listen, Travis, because we were playing kind of open. And they, were, they were just kind of watching. He's, and, and so I got a rebound and I started dribbling the ball at the court. Coach blew the whistle and he came over to me. He said, if I ever see you do that again, you will never play for me. Yes, sir. Right? So he said, pass it to a guard. So that, that was then ingrained in me because I wanted to play, right? And so in order for me to get the ball on offense, somebody had to pass it to me. Somebody had to pass it to me, right? And, and so that didn't always happen, right? Because there are these things called ball hogs, right? Which now that I'm older... And, and I don't have coaches, that's what I've become, right? Because I was never allowed to do it in high school, so now I just, I've just become a ball hog. I dribble down and I shoot from like half court. But anyway, it's beside the point, okay? Um, and, and, and so I remember one particular game, nobody passed me the ball. Nobody passed me the ball. And I didn't get to shoot. I didn't get to score. You know, I didn't get to, I didn't get to show off my skills, right? And I was mad, And I went to the coach after the game, and I looked at the coach, and I said, Coach, I don't even know why I'm on this team. I might as well give you my jersey right now. I don't even know why I'm on this team. Because I didn't touch the ball tonight at all. And he looked at me, and he said, Travis, do you remember how many points you had the other night? I said, Coach, that doesn't matter. Right? That doesn't matter. Because the the night before, I'd had like 20 points or something like that, and scored whatever. but, But in that moment, it didn't matter, because all I cared about was how I wasn't getting the ball that night. I didn't get the ball that night. And he said, wow, Travis, you have a short memory. And I just turned around and walked off. We had about an hour and a half drive home, and I had quite the conversation with my coach in my head on that drive home. (laughs) How often does that happen to us in the church? Man, 
man, I might as well go to another church because I'm not getting the ball. They're not passing me the ball. They're not valuing me here. They're not valuing me there. No, nobody's giving me the ball. Nobody's letting me say anything. Nobody's letting me lead a small group. Nobody's letting me do this. Nobody's letting me do that. Nobody's letting me sing. Nobody's letting me do this. Right? And I'm always in the background. I'm always over here. I'm always over there. Right? Nobody's passing me the ball. So I'll go over here. Or I'll go over there. Or I'll just quit it all and I'll just show up. And I, we'll see. See if they miss me at that point. Right? I know you never saw that, Pastor Rick, did you? It's funny when the guy that's been in ministry longer than I've been alive just starts laughing back there. Because it happens. But look what Paul says. Striving side by side, right? Every single one is valuable. As long as we keep the same focus. As long as we keep the same focus. As long as we're having that one mind striving side by side for that one thing. And I don't know, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. And we can say it a hundred different ways. We can say it all kinds of different ways. But for me, the goal of the church, the focus of the church is to make Jesus' name famous and to make his heaven as big as we can make it right to make heaven as big as we can make it through Jesus Christ to make his name famous not Travis's name not Summit's name not not former Sogo or former South Coast or 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 or, or the elders or the deacons or the admin team or this team or that team you know it, it, it none of that matters but to make Jesus's name famous and to make heaven as big as we can make it because at that point, the church has remained faithful to the call of God on its life. Paul was reminding us of the need for a single mind. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there to Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says, you know, tell Judea and Syntyche, those two ladies in the church, tell them to knock it off. Right? They were disagreeing in the Lord. And so Paul was dealing with some conflict here in the church of Philippi. And I don't believe we're dealing with some conflict, but we're laying some groundwork for what's coming. And it's important that we always keep that single mind, that single focus. Paul was reminding the church of Philippi, hey, listen, listen, listen. Knock it off. Those things don't matter. Those things don't matter. Stay focused. Stay focused. And then thirdly, how do we become a telescope? Confidence. Paul encourages his readers here, verse 28 through 30. He says, And don't be frightened, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Listen, if if you're not going through battles, if you're not going through doubts, if you're not going through times of, of, of suffering, that's when you need to self-evaluate and make sure that Christ is the center of your life. Because Jesus promises it. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. This is the encouragement part of the message this morning. That we are going to suffer for the sake of Christ. That we are going to suffer for the sake of Christ. And then that on the hardest days, on the days of struggle, when the, when, 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 on the days of lonely, on the days of this, on the days of that, we can have confidence that God is good. 
and that we're right where we need to be. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. So Paul gives these encouragements. First, these battles prove that we're following Jesus. Second, others are experiencing the conflict. We're not alone. And all of these things give us confidence to face tomorrow. So we don't quit. We don't quit. We won't quit because the price is too grievous. The promise is too grand. And the prize is too glorious. So what is the difference between a telescope and a microscope? The worship team is going to come. Think about this. The direction in which they're pointed. When you look at a telescope, you're no doubt pointing upward. When you look in a microscope, you're pointing downward. A telescope is set on what's above. A microscope is set on what's below. It's pointed downward toward the earth. Paul is calling the church to become telescopes that will magnify the Lord. That will magnify Jesus. And so often, we're engrossed in the problems of this life that God and spiritual things seem so distant and far away. Our personal problems and the problems of our world loom large to us. This is because our focus is in the wrong direction. If we would set our minds on what's above and leave them there, then God and heavenly things will be brought to proper focus. And we will see God as He is. Big and powerful. Big and powerful. He's bigger than anything that you face. He just needs to be magnified in your life. So there's two challenges here. The worship team is going to sing a song. There's two challenges here. Number one, what's your focus? Where are you looking? Where is your heart coming to life? Is it by looking at the things upward? Or is it by looking at the things downward? Are you focused on the things above or are you focused on the things of this earth? Where's the passion gone? Where's the excitement gone? That's the first challenge, is you personally. Where's your focus? But secondly, when it comes to the people that you interact with, when it comes to the people that you do life with, do you serve as a microscope in their life? Or do you serve as a telescope? Do you serve as someone who, like a telescope, you're bringing things to life for them. You're bringing the things of God to life for them. You're drawing them closer to God. You're bringing God closer to life. Or, like we talked about last week, are you just focused on the box? Are you focused on the wrappings? Are you keeping the focus on the, the things of earth and, and keeping the, the focus downward? Oh, can you believe this? Can you believe that? Man, there's, there's enough. You, you can, if, if you look around hard enough and it's not even that hard, you can find plenty of things to be discouraged about. You can find plenty of things to be up in arms about. You can find plenty of things to lose heart over. You can find them. You can find them. But I believe that God's too great and the mission of the church is too big for us to keep looking into a microscope.
What would it look like if the church decided to strive side by side for this one thing? One thing. One thing. Nothing else matters. We're going to strive by side for this side by side for this one thing. Jesus. For us to live is Christ. To die is gain.